Lost Sons, a podcast about masculinity and its challenges. About us. In today's podcast, Marcus is gonna join. He's a good friend of mine and an entrepreneur. Actually, like the common passion for podcasting made us meet together and start working. So I'll leave you with my questions and his answers. Thanks for uh, for saying yes, man. It's it's valuable for me, and I appreciate your time and uh, the fact that we are doing this. Of course, of course. I find it an interesting project. Cool. So I'll, I'll just uh, jump straight to the questions. And the first one, Marcus, is what does it mean to become a man? Yeah. So starting with the big question. I think um, I think obviously there's a lot of ways that people define madness and uh, I think therefore it helps to come and start from the bottom up because there are um, cultural definitions of what it is to be a man Uh, there's conventional ones obviously which I guess is the most mainstream or previously mainstream there's more recent progressive ones Um, then you have biological uh, definitions of madness so for me I start with something concrete and that is that a man has a XY chromosome and a woman has XX and what that means is that a man or a baby uh, 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 sorry a male has physical features when uh, when they're born that is basically the genitals and, and, and many other things actually but what this means I think is that this is a somewhere where we can start to have a concrete answer a physiological answer and then we can look at the behavioral and contextual responses to that to those concrete physiological traits so a male a boy grows up to be a man and then a man becomes a father for example a woman becomes a mother and a mother has to uh, nurture a child actually has to uh, uh, conceive a child and give birth I think this is where it gets kind of interesting, dude. I think like you have a history, hundreds of thousands of years of learnt uh, uh, traits of, 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 of madness, which are real traits that stem from that physiological difference. And most people accept that today. And, they, and I think you can simultaneously hold a definition of madness, which is a social and cultural one, which is more progressive, which is far more open-ended. And that is because, quite simply, the, the constraints that we used to have, like being in the food chain before, now we're out of the food chain, means that those things that stem from physiological differences no longer apply. I think, um, would nature, if it could have, if it could have developed through natural selection, complex beings like humans, if humans could self-replicate, like, you know, some sea creatures can and whatnot. Um, would that have changed manness and womanness, right? So what I mean is, if it could have got away with it, 
um, I think I think self-replication could have meant that there was there were less distinct or, or no distinct um, kind of uh, genders this way, so to speak. But um, uh, I find it very interesting because man also means mankind or has historically, and there's no doubt a push recently to change that as well. And, and there's some credence to that argument, but um, man, yeah, means mankind. And that's when, when we have an inter like a, a discussion about manness, I think it also helps to say what is womanness. Um, and again, <laughs> I would, being somewhat of like an empiricist or whatever, I would look at, you know, the physiological differences and branch out from there and then use it a few different frames to understand it. Um, yeah, that's the starting yeah. point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Aside from that, if we take like a more mainstream definition or, or what typically did it mean to be a man? Um, I think, and again, coming from these, uh, these traits because of, of how uh, we had to behave in the last hundred, hundreds of thousands of years, we had to protect, right? Historically speaking, we had to provide. Um, but obviously women had to protect and provide as well. The connotation here is that we, we protected by going to war, so to speak, or at least defending from war. Um, we provided by hunting and, um, you know, no doubt women hunted a lot as well. Um, the cliche being that they were gathering while men were out hunting. I have no idea if there's any credence to that argument. It could be. But anyway, a man is somewhat of a utilitarian idea. Like, like it, sorry, it represents utility, a man. Um, and that's also kind of embodied in the Stoics who, who, who you know, like Marcus Aurelius, uh, uh, essentially had this whole philosophy of what it was to kind of be a man or a stoic man. Um, and I think that's an interesting way to interpret it and one that's under attack more and more in, in recent times. How do you define toxic masculinity? Toxic masculinity, I suppose, means egregious, extreme um, traits of masculinity and of, of those typical traits that we call masculine. So I said before, protect and provide. Well, a toxic, toxically masculine man would protect too much, so it would be over, over violent, potentially. Um, and in a modern context, providing would be like obsessed with maybe potentially money and self-betterment um, and winning and stuff like that, the, these, these interesting definitions. I think... I think that it exists, right? But I also think that um, lot toxic anything exists. I think you could write toxic and then insert a category after that and they all exist, which doesn't mean that toxic masculinity is not an issue. It's a, it definitely is an issue. Um, but I think it could be overrepresented or not overrepresented in, in that it's not prevalent. But again, any category, like I, you could have toxic... Um, toxic athletism or something um you could have toxic as we see obviously whiteness which is you know also like a, a hot topic at the moment so toxic masculinity is an issue um however uh i think there's toxic everythings and then the question is in terms of toxic masculinity why is that occurring i think that's a more interesting question um you know is it because um men uh have lost sight? Is it because men are in, intrinsically evil, which is a position a lot of people seem to be taking? 
Um, is it because there's some damage in, in families and, and men uh, don't know how to process that more, so they go out and do these, uh, these, these aggressive things or, or um, yucky, icky things? I'm not sure. I, I guess one of the really interesting things is that toxic masculinity probably hurts those men, the perpetrators, as much as it hurts other people. It, it could, and that's actually a way that we could look at it so that we have more empathy for them. I think there's also like the idea of like toxic masculinity might be earned like from generation to generation, from father to son and so on. But I yeah. don't feel like the, the current society is, is also trending to be more, be more self-aware, to do some self-digging, to go to therapy, to ask some questions. And, and usually this, this might bring, a, I don't know, some change in the pattern, I guess. Yeah. I think that's right. There's no doubt that there's inherited, non-generic inherited patterns that anyone, a man or a woman or anything kind of um, passes on. And so um, you really see it with, with this toxic masculinity. And again, men are seemingly more open to you know, therapy and um, just have more open eyes now. So I think it's becoming less and less of an issue. I would just like to point out that it seems that in the media or on Twitter or wherever you consume information, you know, it feels like it's getting worse. And that's an issue that we have with a lot of things in the world at the moment. Your surface area to these issues is, and your knowledge is becoming deeper and wider, yet um, the actual issues themselves are becoming less and less in volume. So I don't know, uh, it's interesting to see where it goes. I guess like like with food, we need to be careful what we consume as well on the media side. Like a balanced diet, right? With everything. Cool, man. Cool. So next one. What can men do when life falls apart? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because like you can answer that from, again, this historical conventional definition of a man. Or when I think of that, I... I literally think of what can a person do when life falls apart. Um, I know it's a really annoying answer, but I'm not sure that there are that many intrinsically male things that you would do differently. Um, if you use the prism that I used before, that I laid out before of, of utility and providing and protecting, um, one would argue that you do those things more or you, you find some bedrock um, stability when because that's what you need when life falls apart you need something to latch onto that's that's stable and and good and can orientate you and then uh you work and you build with small small steps and you try to start to provide so that might be that you try to do better at work and save more money um again it's not the my, my thing is that women would have the same the same um you know framework <laughs> if their lives fall apart i'm not sure it changes that much it does on the edges perhaps for example women might be more inclined initially even still in 2020 to 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 get therapy or to talk to friends and men might not which obviously would encourage men to do um but apart from that um yeah i think it's the same for both sexes again unless you take a very like stoic and and, and classical uh definition of of madness in which case it's like grab it by the balls and like <laughs> man up and all this sort of stuff. 
I wonder what are your thoughts. My, I'm not I'm not completely sure on this one. I guess like you have no choice, no. Like <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't want to be like the military guy, but when things happen, it's like you don't really have no choice of just like keep pushing forward whatever that means it can also mean like to stay one year without doing anything you know life life is long even though there's there's like in my circle of friends there's been a moment where the that book called i think the power of now or something was so like pushed and like we all only have now and this is the only thing we have today but on the contrary like for sure that's true and it's a good like had to have i guess of thinking but on the same note also life is very long you know like i guess if we are lucky both of us we are gonna live the i know double triple age we have now you know so it's a lot of time it's a lot of that's that's true and not to bring it up over and over again but uh i don't know if it was marx realized but stoics said that you know one of the things or principles was to accept failure and realize that there was life after failure and a whole plethora of like opportunities um, after failure and so you kind of meant to take it in your stride and so like you say what, what what can you do except for move move forward and that's when I become finicky and I just say you know a human being what does a human what does a person do after life falls apart is and is that intrinsically different to what a man specifically does somebody with XY chromosomes <laughs> um, no doubt, at, at the surface level, like on a social level uh, and, and behavioral level, it's going to manifest a little bit differently for, for men and women. Um, but yeah, I think it, essentially it's mostly the same. And that's just keep going. <laughs> keep going, dude. Yeah, keep going. What do, <laughs> what do women want from a man? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, we can turn this into... Uh, well, like, it's like sex sells, hey? Anyway. <laughs> um, I think that one's actually more clear-cut, and I'll find the face of a few things I said earlier. Like, I think there is a pretty deeply entrenched thing. Assuming we're talking... Oh, that's one thing, first of all. That question means, right, like, what is a, a, a straight woman uh, and man? Like, what's the sexual relationship between straight woman and man? What does a woman want, Right. Um, a woman and a man could be a sister-brother relationship. It could be um, anything, right? It could be friends. It could be co-workers. But let's just take it for <laughs> what we assume it to be. Um, I think it is quite um, simple in that they want somebody who's, who's confident and capable, right? Because you would imagine that if they wanted somebody that was um, not confident and incapable, that that would be some sort of pathology almost because I would want a competent, capable anything, um, whether it's somebody that mows my lawn <laughs> or whether it's a, uh, a teacher, right, or a plumber. So I think they want somebody that's confident and capable. And then what that also means, as we see clearly, is that you, you could have those traits and you could be toxically masculine. So you could... You could tick those boxes and then you could kind of lack other traits, right? And you could come across, maybe maybe you're selfish, maybe you're not very respectful, right? Um, so it really is confident and capable whilst also having a suite of other things. So kind, right? Um, um, 
has, has a good heart and however you kind of define that, but I think it's pretty obvious to most people. I think what it really met, therefore means is like a really good balance between those things. Um, and that's really rare. Most, <laughs> we, we all have our vices and um, um, character flaws, right? So it, it's quite a project to become a person, man or woman, who um, is well-balanced because life's hard and it's unlikely that you will be a balanced human being. Um, so I think that's what it is. So they want an ideal, right? And I think, I think men are doing a pretty good job in that regard these days. I, I'm going to go counter to what, what is common knowledge. And I think men as women are, are generally trying hard to be good people. Um, and then aside from that, there's, there's something that, you know, is becoming less and less accepted, which is that the physicality, like, I'm sure there's a ton of signs out there that like stronger, I'm sure even taller men or whatever, right? I'm not a particularly tall dude, but I'm sure that like physical traits are definitely um, desirable by women. And I'm sure it's been proven in data time and time again. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, like what came to mind when, when you're saying your opinion was uh, that idea with the balance and how do, how do we get it? In, in my view, I, I don't think we, we get it. I feel like we, we kind of like reach a, this like state maybe when we, you are aware of those minuses that you're trying to balance. And when they happen, like you have an instant click that you know they're happening, you know. Because yes. I don't think we, we can like fix everything. Fix, I don't know if it's the right word, but maybe it is in this context about us i just think the best we yeah. can do is to know they exist from this first <laughs> uh, step and afterwards i don't know just live it i guess totally man i i think i guess i have I, I agree with that but i would augment it by saying that i do think you can minimize the quote-unquote negative traits as you progress through life and it's not by beating yourself up or anything. It's usually really pragmatic things. Like maybe, for example, we all lack, fo like this is not a man trait, but we all lack focus because our phones, our smartphones get our attention. So there's no doubt that if you put some kind of lock app on your phone that stops notifications coming through for certain hours of the day that you'll be more focused that day, right? Um, what it, We still had that, that weakness, <laughs> but we've done something pragmatic to resolve it. So I think... I think, yeah, you can get a lot of good work done in a few decades, right? Let alone like eight decades. Um, and whether or not we call it fix or whether we call them positive or negative attributes, I'm not sure. You could call them desirable and less desirable. Um, whatever you call them, you have, to, you have to be empathetic to all of them, especially when they're in other people and, and yourself. So, yeah. What, what does society want from men? Yeah. That's a good one because um, I know what society wanted from men in in uh, Europe or you know certain kind of, yeah in Europe in, in in the 40s right they wanted men to to go to war and like yeah yeah basically be um, fodder right um, and to 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 to, uh, to protect like the ideals of nations and to protect the kids and the other men and women at home. Um, that's a very different thing to what society wants now, right? 
And society 200,000 years ago probably wanted something different again, maybe a mix of all the things. So I think that that comes back to what we're saying about masculinity, which is that there's no doubt that the context and the living standards and the day-to-day -day nature of our life in 2020 is having huge effects on what we, or how we define madness and how we, uh, yeah, and what we expect from, from men as a partner or as like a, you know, a, a society. I think it's very easy for people in general to overestimate their current context and to underestimate what life has been like for every other year in history while we've been on this planet and conscious. So you can detect that I've got some kind of idea here that like only for a smidgen of time have we had the living standards to be able to argue about things like this, right? Like, like, or to be able to argue and, and define properly like these terms and what it is to be madness. For the rest of history, I feel like it's just been a perpetual clusterfuck. And men, because they've been more um, physiological, uh, physiologically like, like stronger and larger, like literally in terms of how much weight they can pull, how hard they can yield a sword, have been just thrown at, at like violence and at wars and stuff. And it was really clear and obvious what a man had to do then. And so now that's breaking down now as a society. Um, the obvious, the most obvious prism is, or maybe this is already getting old, but it's been money it has to be successful and has to be, to be um, wealthy. But what we really mean when we say that, if we look at that properly, is that they create value or add value. Um, and that seems to be pretty prevalent um, from what I've heard and read in, in most scientific literature, like men do feel like they have to add value in some utilitarian way that women often don't feel like they have to in order to be appreciated. Um, I guess yeah. some things don't change that easily. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think like, I think it's interesting here. If you surveyed the average person on the street, I would think that 90% of people more would, or 80% of people would say like, women have been harder done by in, in history. And this is like, you know, some notable popular YouTube philosophers, pseudo philosophers have talked about this a lot. But essentially, I think, um, I think there's a chance that it wasn't that black and white. I think that everyone had it hard. Women probably had it, almost certainly had it harder. But then the kinds of hardness that the women and men had were very different. Do we need a ritual to become one, to become men yes we need a ritual to do anything i think um and to become a man is that several decade life project that we talked about so we certainly need daily rituals or weekly rituals or any rituals to do anything over a few decades to uh, orientate yourself and to to um, ensure that you kind of achieve those goals or you're always improving your rituals to be a man specifically there's really low-hanging fruit here like i'm not sure um in other countries but for the last 15 years everyone in australia every man sorry it seems goes to the gym <laughs> and and it maybe died down post-covid but there's this there is this ideal of being bigger or at least healthy um and stuff and i think that's probably good you know being healthy being active um it can get over the top but i think like fitness is one um, I think, um, gladly, luckily meditation is becoming one that's, 
seems to be popular with women and men. Um, yoga as well. So I think, yeah, you need rituals to do anything that's, that's hard over a long period of time to orientate yourself. And um, that's no, no different with being, uh, working on the project of being a man. Yeah, I think, I think physicality, right, is, is one, is a common thread that, that is throughout um, uh, a man, whether they were 200,000 years ago or now, physicality seems to be one. Um, violence seems to be one that used to be, you know, much more pre pre prevalent, uh, prevalent, but um, you don't see that so much anymore. Of course, we have boxing, we have sports, and, and this is an interesting thing, right, because um, in Australia, where I am right now, um, the TV networks, as they are in lots of countries around the world, are starting to broadcast a lot more female sports, which is a great thing, right? And so if you ask me 10 years ago, though, all of the sports were just like men only that were being broadcast on, on the main channel. Um, and so 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah, clearly we're upholding this idea of, 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 of war and men running at each other, <laughs> stuff like that, yeah, as our sports are evidence, our sports are evidence of that. But now that's um, changing as well. So there's no doubt that the, that the threads are becoming more and more tethered and that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing, I don't think. I, I'm curious, do you think it is? Do you think that there's like an ideal that we should, we should respect previous um, epochs or generations and, and what, it, what it was to be a man then? Should, should that be an ideal that we stick to today? I'm not sure if there's any ideal. I guess there are some like pre-recommended things that it would be a nice to have i guess like i know to be open-minded and I, I think there are some stuff that in general are not in the gray area and are like more black and white you know but yeah. but overall i wouldn't make like a uh a must of it i don't know i would call it totally but this this is the interesting part because being open-minded or being open to change or being empathetic these are traits of a good human, right? So it's very helpful and interesting and confusing all at the same time to look at what is it specifically, what, what rituals does a man require? Because again, you have to go back to that definition of man and then, see, and then see how the word ritual behaves with that definition. So aside from protecting and providing and, and within protecting and providing is, is physicality, right? Like going to the gym. Um, it could be, I'm trying to think if there's some other like really high level things. Um, I think, I think there's this conventional idea, like, 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 you know, historically men have been very rational, um, and whether that's true or not, I mean, more than women, I, I'm pretty certain it's the same. There are irrational men and women. Um, but this is certainly evidenced by the fact that like, Hysteria, uh, hysteria used to be called female hysteria. And it was a thing, a condition that um, doctors or whatever thought that only women could get. And men were, as a, a, a juxtaposed that by being very rational and didn't let their emotions cloud their judgment and stuff. Um, that has certainly been some kind of stereotype that has, again, broken down in the last several decades. Are there unique qualities of, of masculinity? Yeah, I mean, I, that's exactly, we've, we've looked at that. So, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be, you have to take it back from those um, physiological differences and then work outwards from there, right? Um, 
I'm sure that there's a lot of philosophers and sociologists and biologists for that matter that have different schematics and frameworks for understanding masculinity. Um, but from somebody that's not trained there, I literally go back from like, what does it mean on a concrete level? And what are the second, third, fourth order implications of those concrete differences? Um, and there's just, I think, again, the interesting point is that those things seem to break down more and more as society progresses, as, as natural selection pressures go away, um, or at least mutate very quickly. Um, then, then those things change. For example, the wealthiest people in the world are computer programmers now, right? Um, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, or he was a quant, but anyway. Whereas the strongest people, you know, 100,000 years ago were physically the, the strongest. So it's interesting what to see that or what effect that'll have in the long run. True, true. There's also that, uh, I'm not sure who's speaking about this, but I think it's Peterson. The idea of yeah. that in, in, in chimps, the idea of strength and how you're not this, this, the, I don't know, the alpha male if you're the strongest and you're a bully with others because yeah, easily, yeah. easily two chimps that are less powerful than the big guy can, can overthrow him easily. Yeah, that breakthrough, or not breakthrough, that, that observation is fascinating and almost obvious to, to us today in society. Like, there's mass coordination because of the fact that we have um, initially communication through language and then that language has been augmented by technology and so communication at scale so there's no doubt that like you know a million chimps of you know can can overthrow like a few very very strong chimps or whatever so um i think that's a really important observation and that means that we've skewed more and more as complexity in society and technology has evolved we've skewed to to have these other traits which are political traits right so it's like empathy it's um to some degree like com complex problem solving um um it's understanding social cues and nuances and social cues which by the way women are, are, are stereotypically better at right so there's an argument there that like um and, and there's a lot of new legislation and policy around many different countries that are saying that you know uh, and there's even studies that say that companies and corporations where there are more females, uh, more women on the board perform uh, better than when there are less women. And I think that's definitely true or possible. Like, it makes sense to me. Even just diversity of opinion um, helps anything. So I'm not surprised that women who are stereotypically, and I guess probably somewhat, this is true, uh, have very, very finely tuned social cues and a very complex social thinkers that of course that's going to work well in, in in many environments i guess that's why we love them yeah <laughs> they're better than us man <laughs> <laughs> last question is pornography affecting masculinity yeah that's a clear concise yes for me um i think Unlike my other answers where it's like, it's affecting people in general. I think this one heavily skews to affecting men. And it's affecting people because of the nature of it, which is that um, it's extreme content, visual content that you're being exposed to, you know, very frequently. And um, there's different layers as to why that could be bad. It could be bad because it changes your expectations. It could be bad because... 
um, it's overstimulating and that has like physiological changes, it could be bad um, by um, permeating kind of these weird um, um, negative things throughout society and, and, and relationship between men and women. So it's certainly bad. And then the question is, what do we do with that? Well, I think we're just on the cusp of an awakening here because once again, things usually happen or often happen hand in hand with technology. So 20 years ago, every high school kid or whatever, 14 year old boy or girl did not have access to infinite <laughs> pornography, right? And yeah. obviously, obviously that is the case now. So it's the first time we've run this experiment and the data is coming in now. And along with social media, there's a, a lot of depression, um, anxiety in, in young kids. Um, we know that for a fact. So I do think there's a turning point and I think it'll also coalesce and go hand in hand with um, how, uh, with social media in general. Like um, there's already these reactions to social, social media and Instagram and Instagram babes and all that sort of stuff. Um, so where is it going to come from? Is it going to come culturally from kids themselves or teenagers themselves? Is it going to come from parents? Is it going to come from the government who like start to legislate more? Like, just like you can't, um, you know, anyway, it's, it's, it's a hard one. Also, the internet is like a free speech machine, <laughs> so to speak. And it's very hard on a pragmatic level to limit somebody's access to certain content, even with these kinds of software and fight like things. So, um, yeah. I'm not sure what we do about it, but it's certainly a huge issue. I guess we are done, Marcus. May this podcast mm -hmm. live forever. Uh, I'm sure it will out there in the ether. Um, yeah, it's been awesome, man. Thank you. I love the project and I can't wait to hear more interviews. Thanks for joining today. Maybe a bit more aware and a bit more curious.